the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I will be your host. Last week on The Antithesis, we covered citizenship as a Christian, and we looked at a passage that many of us have not ever heard preached in light of Caesar and Christ, in light of being a citizen in a fallen world. We looked at Acts 22, 22 to 29, and I got a number of questions about it, uh, good feedback uh, about that passage, and I wanted to take this episode in order to quickly walk through Acts 22 to 29 in greater detail. Let's read it, shall we? Acts 22, verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him, to Paul. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This was just one of several passages that I commented on in my previous episode on citizenship. And so I barely did justice to it then, and I will barely do justice to it now. But it is very important that Christians bring this passage into their understanding of Christian citizenship in a fallen world. So yes, this is really a part two to last week. It's a further exploration of an unnoticed passage. I've talked about this passage actually in light of citizenship, in light of what it means to be a Christian in a fallen world with several friends who teach and preach the word of God. I don't have any special insight into it, um, but I, I actually have been surprised to find that I don't think many folks connect this passage to their theology of the public square. 
But I think that this is one of probably the five to ten most important passages in the entire Bible for understanding how to be a citizen in a fallen world, specifically how to be a Christian citizen in a country that, at least in a great many cases in this life, does not follow Jesus Christ. It is extremely rare that there would even be a claim along those lines. And um, basically, it is completely unlikely that we are going to find ourselves before Christ returns and makes things right, living in ideal circumstances as Christians. So what do we need? We need biblical truth. We need the scripture to shape how we live here. We need guidance. We don't need guidance fundamentally from the light of our own mind, from the light of our reason. What we need guidance from is the word of God. The word of God and not man's reason, not man's autonomous intellect, is our authority. It is always our authority. So we need to do a better job, I think, of going to the scripture and grounding our thinking in the scripture. Yes, there are matters that we uh, seek to understand and think through. We have to. There are things that the scripture does not directly address. And so there we use what you could call biblical reasoning uh, to, to fill in those gaps. But this is a passage, actually, that gives us a good deal more light than I think many of us are aware. In this passage, you see that it is wrong that Paul would be flogged as a Roman citizen and that he would be uh, flogged as one who is uncondemned. He has not received a trial. This is clear in Acts twenty-two, twenty-five. So we're learning about the imperatives and the privileges of Roman citizenship here. It turns out, yes, verse 27, that Paul is a Roman citizen. And verse 28, he is a citizen by birth. He has the highest form of citizenship, that is. So he has the most privileges. He has the most rights as a Roman citizen. He cannot be uh, flogged as a Roman citizen. He certainly cannot be flogged as one who is uncondemned. Obviously, if he is uh, lawless, then he is subject to the prerogatives of the state and the punishment of the state. But at this point, none of this is proven. None of this has gone through the system. Uh, none of the levers of justice have been pulled at this time. Paul's being treated as if he is a barbarian, but he is no barbarian. He, in fact, has higher form. He has a higher form of citizenship than the one who is overseeing uh, his his custody at this time. Okay, what does this mean for us today? Having quickly mentioned a few things about this passage, it means five truths about citizenship. First, it means that citizenship matters. It matters. Christians don't often factor in passages like this to their doctrine of the public square. We will Rarely, many of us attest to having this kind of passage fit into our understanding of Christianity in a fallen world. But what I want you to understand is that just as it is important for Paul to be a Roman citizen, it is important for you to be an American citizen or a citizen of whatever country you belong to. I'm trying to say that that matters. And you're probably hearing me, some of you, and thinking, uh huh, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, this matters significantly. Now, being a citizen of a country doesn't matter ultimately. 
you are ultimately a member of Christ's kingdom. That is your most important citizenship. You belong to a country, if you will, (laughs) a kingdom that truly is not of this world. And that is your true country. Those are your true people. Not any country on this earth, not any nation on this earth. Many Christians, though, hear about that reality. And that's, that's wonderful. You need to hear a great deal about that truth. But you also need to hear about this one. This is not the ultimate truth in terms of what you belong to, but this is a secondary and a lesser truth. But secondary and lesser truths still matter. I am shocked as somebody who spends probably too much of my time thinking about uh, Christianity in a fallen world at how little attention there is to the secondary truths. There is so often great attention in our time to the highest truths to the most important fundamental realities. I give thanks to God for that. I try to be a theologian, a teacher of a word in my tiny little corner of things who points people to ultimate truth, who points people to the greatest realities, including the reality of our belonging in Christ through saving faith to the kingdom of Jesus. That's our ultimate citizenship. But look, friends, Look at this passage afresh. Paul belonged to the kingdom of Christ too. Paul is a Christian. Paul is soon, in just a few years, headed to heaven. Did that, though, mean that he he negates and ignores his Roman citizenship? Not in the least. He draws on the, the privileges, the common grace blessings seen from a Christian standpoint, of his citizenship. He allows his citizenship to come into play. And so he is not flogged at this point. They have him stretched out for the whips. Verse 25, they are about to unleash fury on Paul. If he only understood his Christian citizenship in Christ to matter, then he would not have said a word. If he only thought that he is supposed to do and let be done anything to him that the government says should be done on the spot or a government official, he would not have said what he did. But he clearly does not think that. He clearly does not think, as one indwelt by the Spirit, that he is supposed to take anything that comes from the government's hand. He could, at this point, I think we can say, suffer flogging. I I don't understand him to have to have said what he did. There are times when Christians, as I said previously, are called to give everything up, are called to die. In the name of Jesus Christ, there, there are no levers left to pull. There is no case to make. Our number has been called by God. Our death, our persecution, even our martyrdom is appointed. And it is time to walk into that reality, to walk into death. And in the next instance, the next moment, the next second, to walk into heaven. That's our calling. That is a clear biblical category for the Christian. We are those who are always ready to die. We are always ready to die in the name of Jesus Christ. And before even death, we are ready to suffer We are ready to be persecuted as a Christian. 
we recognize that this may be a reality for us in coming days in lots of different forms. Persecution small, persecution great. But what I want us to focus on here is not all the other ways Paul could have responded or the other ways you and I may need to respond. What I want to focus on is what the text focuses on because this is the very word of God. And it has Paul not going mute as he is about to be flogged. It has Paul drawing on the privileges of his Roman citizenship. And that means that his secondary citizenship, his earthly citizenship matters. And this means secondly, that secular citizenship for Christians, I mean, is not to be downplayed. Don't downplay it. Don't think it is nothing. Understand it to be a tremendous common grace good if you live in a country that allows citizens these kind of privileges and rights. There's a bigger discussion to have about the very language and notion of rights and what all this means. I'm not going to get into that here. I am simply pointing out that secondary citizenship, in my second point, matters to Paul and thus should matter to us. So um, in my own country here, as an American citizen, this means that I should not downplay being an American citizen. And I should not set aside without even a moment's thought the rights and privileges and common grace blessings of being a citizen here. I should instead recognize that God in his providential will has appointed that I would live here, that I would be a citizen of X country or X nation I am in, and then that I would live accordingly. Rome is not a Christian nation. So the the citizenship that Rome has constructed with the privileges and rights that it it affords its citizens are not necessarily to be grounded in Scripture. Certainly that was not the case for those who set up Rome. And yet, though Rome is a secular entity, though the emperors, many emperors of Rome, in fact thought of themselves as deities and demanded worship, it is this exact form of citizenship that Paul draws on as a Christian. So as a Christian, you're a citizen of Christ's kingdom first, foremost, and finally. But then secondarily, m- many of us, tons of us, are citizens of certain countries and nations, and that citizenship matters. And, and it matters, by the way, because God is the one who sets up countries, nations, and states. He's the one who allows them to exist. It doesn't mean that they have a blank check to do whatever they want. Many uh, countries are going to have many different forms of evil found in them. But it does mean that as Christians, we're not anarchists. Paul clearly believes that Roman citizenship, secular citizenship, matters. And so it should for you. And, and if you have not heard preaching and teaching like this along these lines, and I'm guessing that some of you have not, perhaps even a good number of you have not, 
then you need to invest yourself in this text and its truths. Sometimes there is a kind of citizenship that is promoted that is not really a biblical form of it, but is a kind of uh, God and country citizenship. And that's not, in technical terms, what I am sketching out here. In other words, you see God's cause, God's kingdom, and the secular kingdom in which you live is basically being one and the same. And so you pray for your nation and you pray for a revival, but you're not really focused ultimately on the kingdom of Christ and the saving of souls and the growth and advancement of the church. You are focused on uh, your country being a better place, basically being a more virtuous public order. It is no bad thing for us to seek uh, the extension of virtue in our societies. We should as Christians, we should be salt and light. We should pray to lead a quiet and godly life. First Timothy 2. We should pray for the emperor. On and on we can go. But we're not doing that ultimately because we see the strengthening of a given country as one-to-one equivalent with the advancement of Christ's kingdom. No, we're doing so because we who are members of Christ's kingdom are also, at least in most cases, called to be a citizen of a of an earthly country in this life. And per a passage like this, we're learning that even secular citizenship, what I've called secondary citizenship for the Christian, is not to be downplayed. It's instead to be claimed, as Paul does in Acts 22, 22 to 29. You disagree with me? You think, no, no, I think all that's really important is that I love the gospel and, uh, and be found in Christ. Well, do business with the text. <laughs> Don't argue with me. Argue with Paul. It's his fault. <laughs> Third truth that I think we find here, we reap from Acts 22, 22 to 29. Governments in the biblical mind must act per their own terms. Governments are called... And citizens hold them to account to act on the basis of the system by which they govern. This passage teaches us this implicitly in terms of principle. It's found here. Rome has a form of citizenship that it has set up. Roman citizenship matters for Rome itself, I mean, for Roman officials, for Roman soldiers. Governments then are to be called to account and to keep the terms of citizenship. You understand this? This is explosively important, I think. It's right there in the Bible. It is not some genius insight that I have, and yet it is of great import for us as believers at all times and in all places. But I I think it is especially important right now in late 2021 as many of our citizenly prerogatives and blessings and privileges are hanging in the balance and are being tested and even severely tested by our own government, by the Biden administration. I want you to understand that it is right that you as a Christian would call your government to live by its own code For America, this would mean that it is right 
that you would operate by the U.S. Constitution, our founding documents, most broadly, and you would draw on the prerogatives of your citizenship, and you would do so in full confidence that you are acting righteously as a Christian, and that your government is responsible to hold to its own precepts and principles and laws. You are not, in other words, supposed to understand yourself as a Christian, as standing before your government, your government having nothing to which it is accountable, and your government doing anything it desires to do. If you are in a country that has no meaningful citizenship, I suppose that could be your lot in life. But Paul found himself in a country or rather was a member uh, of a body of citizenship that had substantial rights and privileges for its citizens. And at least in America to this day, American citizens still have substantial rights and privileges. It's being acted as if we do not. Our government, governing officials in different forms, are acting as if there is no constitution. And we do not have constitutional rights. I am not a constitutional scholar. I'm not an expert in the U.S. Constitution. I am not in politics beyond that. But I know, based on a passage like this, that citizenship matters, as I have said. Secular citizenship matters. And governments are called to act by their own documents. They are to be held to their own standards. And this means, fourthly, that Christians should take full advantage of their citizenship. <laughs> I keep struggling to say that word. Citizenship. You, practically, if you are under the gun right now because of vaccine mandates or mask mandates, if, if your kids are threatened along these lines, you should take full advantage of your citizenship, just like Paul. You may not be about to be flogged. You may not be stretched out for the whips like Paul was in Acts 22. But nonetheless, you have constitutional rights. And brothers and sisters, it is time for you to avail yourself of them. It is no time to hold back. It is time for you to claim religious exemptions per your conscience. It is time for you to bring suit against your employer if you are fired unconstitutionally and if you are fired for refusing to take a vaccine that is not mandated by the U.S. Constitution and certainly is not mandated by the Holy Scripture, that you have full right to bring a lawsuit against your employer. You should not waver over such realities. You should act. You are not acting in a kind of wild-eyed, irresponsible Christian way if you do so. You are being like the Apostle Paul. You are drawing upon your citizenship. Yes, we submit as much as possible to government. I've talked about that repeatedly on this podcast. Go back and listen to other episodes if you want to hear me discuss that. Submission matters greatly. But the only thing the Bible says 
to Christians in fallen societies is not submit to government. It says that, and that matters. But it says as well, we have rights and privileges of citizenship in so many words, and we should avail ourselves of them. We do not obey the government when it calls us to sin. And secondly, as a principle, we claim our freedom of conscience and we claim the liberty of our citizenship as believers. Take full advantage. If you are sitting under preaching and teaching or if you are hearing different voices in the Christian world, including sound and respected and well-liked voices who are telling you that the only principle the Bible gives you in days like this or in any day is to do whatever you are told and to love your neighbor by doing whatever you are told, you are not getting a full-orbed biblical picture. You're just not. Said differently, those voices, those commenters, those teachers are not doing full justice to the Word of God. They are giving you an insufficient picture. They are not rightly synthesizing biblical texts. The scripture often gives us different texts on a certain doctrine that we pull together, we synthesize, we work to understand. And that takes some work. And even when we do that synthesizing work, we will understand that there will still be some matters before us over which we may differ. There will still be matters of conscience and matters of liberty over which we differ. And in those moments and in those instances, we, we must be very careful about binding one another's conscience. For example, the point I am making on this podcast is not that you must not be vaccinated or something like this. I haven't made that at any point on my podcasts. I think that's a matter of Christian liberty. I think that's a matter of your conscience. I think it is very understandable for somebody to look at fetal stem cell lines used in the development of different forms of the vaccine before us. I think it is understandable to see that vaccines don't really seem to be working. (laughs) I think it is understandable as a Christian to recognize that um, vaccines are increasingly being used as not a one-step reality to overcome uh, different illnesses. At least that's what they're said to be doing, but are increasingly multi-step parts. I think it is also understandable to see uh, this entire uh, mechanism, this entire engine of so-called public health being used to erode public freedom and liberty in a massive way, even imperiling it in general. And yet, even as I have stated all those realities that I, th- I think I see clearly, I still refrain from telling you, I know as one who tries to study the word of God as best I can, what you should do. The Bible does not speak to this. And so I am not comfortable, even out of a kind of Christian liberty. Yes, you have liberty, but still incline this way kind of perspective. I know, for example, that John Piper has made an argument along those lines. Over the years, John Piper is one I have greatly respected and learned a ton from. But in a recent Desiring God article, Piper essentially makes the case that we have freedom, yes, when it comes to matters of health 
of bodily health. And on balance, according to Piper, his read, it seems that the vaccine helps people in general, saves lives. And so even as we are free, according to Piper, I'm paraphrasing, we should not feel pressured not to take the vaccine, but instead operating in love, recognize that we are free. And with a fairly strong nudge, Piper tells us basically we're free to take the vaccine. Well, um, again, in great respect for Piper, let me say this. I think you are free to take it, but I also think you are absolutely free as a Christian not to. You see, when there are issues of Christian liberty and freedom of conscience, I I don't want to sound foolishly reductionistic here, but you really are free to do what you think is best. Now, we're not meaning there's nothing to take into account. I just listed out some principles that I think inform this discussion. I'm reading widely. I'm trying to think well. I'm taking my time. I'm not trying to shoot off in every direction and hop on message boards every 10 minutes and fight this out. These are difficult matters and there's much to think through. So we should do that. And in doing that, we should also recognize we will come to different positions on matters of conscience, on matters of liberty. And we must not do violence to one another's conscience. We must not bind one another's conscience where we have freedom. We must respect that. It's easy for all of us to perhaps confess that we believe in matters of conscience, but then uh, subtly try to shift the discussion in the direction we think it should go. I don't think it's wrong for us in discussions over what we should do on matters of conscience to state our position. I have done that. I don't even think it's wrong for us to, uh, to, to encourage others to go the way we're going. But I do think that we should make very clear that we are, we are not saying that as if Christian freedom doesn't exist. We believe this is the best take on the matter. We believe this is the best position we can arrive at. But even there, if somebody disagrees with us, they are free to do so because we are not, in, in the case of this kind of discussion, we are not talking about an explicit directive imperative of scripture. So Christians will disagree and we have to be able to understand that and hold that intention. Whatever your precise position on the matters in question, Christians should take full advantage of their liberty. We should never think it a small thing to have freedoms. We should never think it a small thing for Americans to have a constitution. We should never think it a small thing to have a justice system, courts and laws and evildoers being held to account. Please hear me. These are extremely important, common grace blessings. We don't have to have them as Christians in order to be a Christian. But if God gives them to us in his magnificent kindness, we must not take them lightly. We must instead give thanks to God for them, pray that they will continue to operate 
in our society. We should do everything we can to support liberty. We should vote as citizens to extend liberty down the ages. We should try to preserve civilization. We should try to ensure that there is a society for our children and grandchildren. Can Christianity survive in concentration camps? Can it survive where there are no liberties? Absolutely it can. In fact, the gospel can even advance in such terrible places. Does that mean that we are in our sane mind asking God to send our children and grandchildren into the equivalent of concentration camps or being a Christian? Are you, uh, have you lost your mind? Where does the Bible call us to, to, to lay down and let a, a civilization that is in no way perfect, not at all, Look at, look at abortion in America. What a telling sign that we are definitely not citizens in terms of this country, of the greater country, of the new Jerusalem. Does that mean, though, because there are real evils in this public order, that we wave a hand and continue to avail ourselves of our creature comforts and talk to one another simply about going to heaven very soon? No. No. It means that we are like Paul by God's grace. And we take being a citizen seriously. And we act while there is time. And if you hear this from no one else, hear it on this humble, humble little podcast. It is time for you to act as a Christian. Not to act in fear, not to act in anger, but to act in righteousness in the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, to recognize that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Fight. Fight as a Christian for your society. It's not of ultimate importance, but if you fight, for example, for a society that has religious liberty, you may not be in ministry yourself. But if God grants the extension of religious liberty down the ages, at least to some degree, you are allowing unfettered, unbridled ministry to continue occurring. And on balance, we would much rather have a lot of religious liberty over less religious liberty. Again, I feel like I'm saying things that are almost too basic to even state out loud, but on the one hand are so rarely stated in many even reformed circles that they are downright revolutionary things to say. Fifth, all this means to sum up and conclude that we Christians, the church, those bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ are on the front foot, not the back foot in the public square. Too often, Christians not only get accustomed to being on the back foot, to fighting defensively, in other words, we actually seem to kind of like it. I've already been riffing on this theme, but it both surprises and greatly troubles me that there are so few Christians who love God and love His truth and love sound doctrine who seem to understand that being a member of Christ's kingdom in ultimate terms 
in no way absolves them of responsibility for being a member of a society in earthly terms. I don't want to hammer this nail so far into the wood that we split the wood. Perhaps we're in danger of that here. But I would simply say, please remember as a Christian, you may not feel this way, but you are called not to play defensively. You are called to play offensively. You're called to play offense. You're called not just to react to attacks on your freedom or attacks on the church. You're called to go out there and actively promote what is true. Not just if you have a big TV show and a YouTube channel with 600,000 followers. You as a Christian, whatever your role, whatever your vocation, man or woman, working to provide for a family, working at home to raise little children, doing a thousand different duties and jobs and tasks in the day. Whatever you are, wherever you are called to be, you are not called to play defense, to keep your mouth shut until you're attacked. You and I are called, per the Great Commission, to go out, to tell the whole truth, to make disciples, to teach them everything Christ and his apostles has commanded, not to teach them a little bitty gospel, that gets them saved and then does no damage in terms of their daily life. You and I are called to teach a big gospel. We are called to herald a big Christ. We are called to magnify and proclaim the majesty of the King. Jesus Christ is the King. Jesus Christ is the true Lord. Jesus Christ is the true sovereign. That is the one we are claimed by. It is his kingdom we belong to. And on that basis, we as Christians, wherever we are across the world, are called to go out and boldly tell the truth and boldly herald Jesus, preach the gospel, share the whole counsel of God, not just share it, proclaim it. That's a better way to say it. And even to to verge into a slightly different category, to defend citizenship, to seek the good of our neighbor, to love our neighbor, second greatest commandment, Matthew 22, not first and foremost by doing anything anyone else tells us to do, but to love our neighbor by seeking a just society. How's that for loving your neighbor? Where are you reading about that on the blogs today? What major market conference speakers giving a talk about that? Not love your neighbor by doing whatever Caesar says to do. No, love your neighbor by standing on the truth and then out of the overflow of the truth, acting in love by preserving what good you can around you. Be a Christian meaningfully anywhere you are. That is the best way to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor isn't this fundamentally docile reality where you, you, you find a doctor's office, go into it, strap yourself down and lay there and wait for the world to do whatever it wants to you. Loving your neighbor is a, is a deeply assertive way to live. It's you and me as Christians finding any way we can, claimed by the gospel, loving the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and then living out a gospel-shaped life, a life that is free, a life that is fearless, 
a life that is bold, a life that is grounded in the truth. Hear me again, whether or not you are a senator or a public voice or you pop up on Fox News twice a month, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you live as a Christian and in your own little corner of things, in a fruits of the spirit driven way, acting out Christian virtue, you love those around you by promoting the truth and showing goodness and grace to them. You are loving your neighbor, for example, when you oppose abortion. Your neighbor who loves abortion and is ardently pro-choice may not see you opposing abortion as just one example of neighbor love. Neighbor love is not defined by what ungodly people think is loving. But this seems to be the operative understanding of at least a good number of Christians today. Loving your neighbor, second greatest commandment, Matthew 22, means doing what your neighbor thinks is loving for Christians to do. That is not a biblical understanding of neighbor love. Loving your neighbor means doing what God thinks is loving for you to do to those around you. We need to wrap up. There is a great deal we are leaving on the table here. Suffice it to say that we draw profound encouragement and instruction from the example of a man just about 2,000 years ago who was stretched out for the whips and did not actually welcome them, but instead Paul claimed the prerogatives and the rights of his Roman citizenship. He lived to fight another day. He would not ultimately preserve his life. He would ultimately be martyred for Jesus Christ. He would pay the ultimate price. He would walk beside his Savior, following his Savior into death. But in terms of Acts 22, not yet. The hour had not yet come. Paul, being a Roman citizen, mattered. He acted out of his God-granted, common grace, liberty. And I pray you and I will, as well in our time. Come what may, in days ahead. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.